You're listening to the Family Discipleship Podcast, a podcast of training the church. We are saying yes to an invitation from God to be part of this, but it's absolutely not all on our shoulders or up to us. Um, And yet, in a very real way, our yes and our participation matters. This idea that God can speak directly to our children, even our little ones, I think the more that we practice inviting Him to do that, the more it actually increases our faith that He will. You know, many Christians have settled for kind of a comfortable faith, and so it's we don't know what to do when it becomes uncomfortable to follow Jesus. All right, this is Adam Griffin, and I'm here with my lovely marital co-host, the truly brilliant and beautiful Mrs. Chelsea Griffin. How are you doing today, Chelsea? I'm good. I'm ready to podcast. <laughs> it's great to be here. Awesome. Me too. All right, today's episode, we also have a guest with us. She's got a new book out called Teach Your Children Well, Mrs. Sarah Cowan Johnson, everybody. Hello, Sarah, how are you doing today? Good. Thanks so much for having me. Oh, we're so glad to have you with us. Uh, Chelsea, at the very beginning of Sarah's book, she talks about what I think is a really comical entry, which I love, about her um, driving by. Her family drives by this place called, I think, the Foxy Lady. Oh, yes. Is that the right, Foxy Sarah? Foxy Lady. It's a Providence institution. <laughs> And knowing that one day her kids would ask her about it and have to explain it kind of uses it as a great illustration. I was just wondering, Chelsea, can you think of a question that you were surprised or impressed with that came out of one of our children that you thought like, hey, one day I'm going to have to explain this to them? I I think I was surprised at how young Gus was when he, I think he was probably like four or five when he was like, well, like about the Garden of Eden thing, he was just kind of like, well, why did God put the tree there? (laughs) <laughs> oh yeah. And I was like Yeah. Remember that Theodore asked us like why God why did God make Satan? It seems like he ruined everything. Oh, that's a good yeah. question. <laughs> fair. <laughs> that is yeah. fair. And I was like, I don't know, buddy. You'll you'll find out when you're older, you know, and just send him to bed, you know, like a good family disciple. You know? <laughs> Dad doesn't no, I'm just kidding. We sp- we had a great conversation about it. But Sarah, I'm so excited about getting to talk to you about this book. I think the book is just wonderful. It's so practical, but it has a lot of insights. Uh, on culture. Before we get into it, though, would you mind just introducing yourself to our listeners, letting them know a little bit maybe about your family and your ministry? Yeah, yeah. So um, I live in Providence, Rhode Island with my husband, Greg, and uh, my two boys, Noah and Silas. Uh, They are 12 and 8 right now. Um, And my ministry background, I was on staff with InterVarsity Christian Fellowship for a season for quite a long time. And then I was uh, the executive pastor at a Covenant Church plant in my city here in Providence. And these days I am out on my own doing ministry consulting and coaching and training and do a lot of work with our denomination, which is the Covenant. Love it. That's great. So your new book is called Teach Your Children Well, a step-by-step guide for family discipleship. Will you tell us the story about writing this book? Where'd the idea come from and why'd you want to write it? Yeah. So when I was on staff at my church, I had little kids myself. Um, And I was, uh, yeah, I was the executive pastor, but we did not have a kids person at the time. And I was trying to hire somebody. And 
we were, you know, looking and looking to fill this position and it wasn't getting filled. And so I decided, why don't I take a year to serve as sort of the interim kids person and I'll develop a lay team. And sort of the hope was I'd get this team up and running and then in a year we could hire and, uh, but we'll kind of get off the ground with a lay team. And in the course of that year, really digging into um, a lot of reading around uh, children and family ministry, I was just uh, totally uh, kind of bowled over by two statistics. One, you've probably heard, and I'm sure you talk about on the podcast, right? The big, bad 50% statistic that half of our kids are likely to leave the faith after they graduate. But then um, I came across some research about the influence of parents and um, really that that 50% statistic, the one thing that consistently makes a difference in that is parents. And it it turns out that actually uh, parents who talk about and practice their faith in the home, 82% of their kids go on to follow Jesus as adults. So when I kind of saw that, I was leading this team and I'm like, okay, guys, we can do the best Sunday morning programming that we can possibly do. But if we fail to equip parents, we're, that's just, that's going to be a miss. And so we started, I started a seminar for parents at my church. And then that began to be something I did at other churches. And eventually that led to the book. It's great. like you talked about, that statistic is is kind of daunting. You kick off the book talking about how that research basically boils down to the equivalent of a coin yeah. toss on whether or not our kids would follow Jesus, which is kind of a, a scary yeah. way to describe it. What do, you, what do you take away from that? How do we keep that from being scary, from being a discouraging truth for families right. as you're talking about this? Right. Well, I think an important you know, an important thing to kind of get straight in our heads from the beginning is there are no guarantees in this journey. Um, There's a way that I think for me, I'm the kind of person that feels like, well, if I do everything right, I should get the outcome that I'm looking for, right? And right in quotes. Um, So yeah, like when my kids were learning how to sleep and I just felt like, well, there's a if you just follow this method, they should learn how to sleep. And really frustrated when that didn't happen. And my wonderful husband would say, Sarah, honey, he's not a robot. He's a human being. (laughs) And um, that's the same way with, you know, family discipleship is we, we cannot by our own efforts produce disciples. We can't do that. The Holy Spirit is the one who, you know, uh, like calls and beckons to our kids and we are partnering with God. And so I think the very first thing to get straight in our heads is we are, we are saying yes to an invitation from God to be part of this, but it's absolutely not all on our shoulders or up to us. Um, and yet in a very real way, our yes and our participation matters. So how do we keep that from being scary? I think it's just a constant, it's a constant dance of, yeah, recognizing where we are not in control and we trust God. And then where's that sweet spot of influence that we lean into and say, yes. That's good. Yeah. We talk a lot about that on our podcast. So we want our, we want our, our parents listening and our church leaders listening to this idea that it is so important uh, that we're leading and discipling our families, but also experience that freedom and grace that they have in Christ as they navigate such a critical right. calling. Um, you describe this in your book as a high grace and a high challenge. 
Can you unpack what you mean by that and why it's so important? Yeah. So um, this is like a, it's a two by two kind of matrix grid. This is my, I'm a chart person. The book is full of charts. And, um, (laughs) you know, I have friends who joke that I need a tattoo on my forearm of a blank two by two grid because I just love this (laughs) um, so much. But yeah, I really think there's two values when we um, approach this journey. Um, One is grace, where we know, yeah, we're going to make mistakes. We come as we are. We, it's not on all all on our shoulders. This is the Lord's work, you know, the grace. But on the other side, taking, um, yeah, there's a, a challenge, like to get in the game and to be present and intentional. And so if you put those two values into this grid, um, the goal is high grace, high challenge. Um, but each right. of us kind of tends to have one side that we skew towards. So high grace parents are kind of the God's got them. <laughs> I, I'm all set, you know, they're going to, kids will be kids and we'll, we hope something good comes out of this. Right. And then on the yeah. high challenge side, I think these are the parents who feel a lot of uh, pressure and a lot of shame when things don't go well and a sense that this is all about And so we're trying to avoid both of those extremes and go towards the middle, which I think is a place of freedom to say, yeah, there's an invitation for me to participate. There's some challenge here. I want to get in the game, but it's also not all about me. And it's definitely not about being perfect because I am not. Yeah. Yeah. In this section of the book, you say, we know that we are loved and accepted just as we are, but we also feel an invitation to learn, grow, and experiment. Why is it so hard for parents to believe they have this grace and freedom and the weighty calling simultaneously? Yeah, well, um, so I think, it again, it sort of depends on your personality, right? So some of us really, I mean, those of us who struggle with, yeah, uh, performance and perfectionism, I think are going to look at our kids and feel like this is uh, even an extension of our how how well we've done um, as Christians, as parents. Um, and so the, there's sort of this, um, a lot of pressure that we put on ourselves. And so it's hard for us to believe that, um, yeah, God can use broken, imperfect people. And yet when we look at scripture, right, nobody in scripture that God ever invited to participate right. in his mission, which is what this is, right? Nobody was ever perfect enough. It was always about the Holy Spirit uh, inhabiting human effort, but it's hard for us to to believe that. And honestly, I think there's a bit of pride in that, right? Like it's, it's about what I can do. Mm-hmm. And um, on the other side, I think w- there's a lot in our culture that tells us that actually um, this job of discipling children is for the professionals. And so this idea that it's yeah. something that I can be invited by the Lord to participate in. Sometimes that can be hard to, to, you know, grapple with because everything in our church culture and in our sort of just everything in how we think about developing children in the ways that we want them to grow is tells us to sort of turn them over to the professionals and that, um, you know, the professional disciplers are the church staff and youth group leaders and Sunday school teachers. Um, And so I think it can be something where, yeah, parents aren't even aware that this is part of what it means to be a Christian parent. It's part of that calling. Yeah, that's why I love you talk about that both-and idea that 
there's both the idea of grace that the Lord has you in this and that this is important and challenging. And if you lean, there's temptations in either one. I'll t- we'll talk more about temptations here in a second, but that the temptation to be crushed by the expectations or to be so laissez-faire right. as to not put any effort in. Exactly. And it's kind of like a ditch on either side of the road you're trying to help parents walk down. Yeah. Now, one of my favorite sections you have in the book uh, really connects with where we're going a lot this season. This season on our podcast, we're talking a lot about countercultural parenting as we're discipling nice. our kids. Yep. And you talk a lot about the the, the post-Christian culture, meaning uh, a culture that is familiar with Christianity, but choosing to reject it. Yeah. And you also talk about how the kind of the moral high ground has shifted, that our children are growing up in a world, you say, growing up in a world that is discipling them in post-Christian distinctives. And you have like a great list of kind of what are those. And of course, like we, Chelsea and I could not agree more. We absolutely see that. But help us understand, why is this changing or clarifying the role of families to disciple their kids in today's culture? Yeah, so, you know, in the last 20 years, the culture has shifted pretty significantly. And so unless you're under 20, (laughs) you're raising children in a very different spiritual climate than you grew up in if you grew up in the church. Um, and so, yeah, the, if you think about the way a vaccine works, um, a vaccine, you know, typically exposes your body to a little bit of a virus, usually a weakened form of that virus, so that the body recognizes it and can defend itself against it. And in a way, yeah. uh, post-Christian culture has been inoculated to the gospel. It's a reaction to Christendom, which was the, you know, kind of cultural milieu where Christianity exerted a lot of influence in culture. And so post-Christian culture has been exposed to enough of the gospel, but again, usually a weakened version of it that it, it recognizes it and it's like, ooh, <laughs> I know, I know what to do with you. And so, um, yeah, our kids, if they are going to follow Jesus in this moment, it means that they are going to be cutting even more against the grain than we were right. as kids. Um, and they're going to be misunderstood. And that is a really difficult and different thing um, to prepare them yeah. for than what maybe we, if, if we grew up in the church, kind of our experience. So, Yeah, I want to talk more about that idea of misunderstood yeah. in just a second, but uh, one of the things I loved about that section is you call it the way the church has responded yes. to the shifting culture. Yes. And you, you kind of describe how almost like animalistically, instinctually, what you see in nature is the same thing you've seen in the church, that you describe three common responses of fight, flight, or camouflage. Yeah. Can you help just unpack that yeah. for the listener? Help us understand what does it look like for a church or family to respond to a changing culture with fight, flight, or camouflage? Yeah. So it's really the same three responses as a threatened animal. So the threat here is that what people feel, and you know, they may not even have necessarily words for it, um, but it's sort of a feeling of being aware of the uh, declining cultural influence, the again, the shift in the moral high ground um, where it seems like, yeah, the kind of Christian values are not seen as moral. They're seen as repressive or, um, yeah. yeah, damaging. Um, and so that... The, that feels threatening. And so this, the common responses that I think we see in the church and in this country are fight. So this is like culture war. I, you know, we want to like take back the ground we're losing and we're going to fight, you know, that's like through legislation or voting booths or, um, yeah, this is, yeah, we're going to kind of win. Um, 
yeah. light, this would be the way that I'm going to handle this is I'm going to retreat into a Christian enclave. And so I'm kind of going to disengage from the world. Um, and, uh, you know, there are appropriate <laughs> ways to, to, you know, have Christian community or, you know, obviously that's like not all bad. But when we completely choose to disengage from the world, we're missing the sense of mission or sense of love for the people right. that are around us. Right. So, um, yeah, kind of running away from, from what's happening. And then, um, camouflage, this is probably the one that I feel as a, you know, individual, but also I think many churches in the Northeast, I, I think this is our thing, um, is yeah, we'd rather not stick out. We want to blend in. And so the thing that right. gets kind of complicated here is the ways that our, we begin to um, compromise on some of the things we believe and begin to like sort of adopt some of the values of this post-Christian worldview. Hey friends, it's March and that means Easter is right around the corner. In fact, Easter is in March this year. It's part of the reason I'm pumped to tell you about one of our sponsors who's got a really special Easter deal. This is a great time to get some new resources to disciple your family. Our friends over at Lithos Kids are having an Easter basket sale. They got the brand new Little Pilgrims Big Journey complete box set. It's now available. Guys, I can't tell you how much I love this resource. If you don't have it, you need to go check it out. Kids and parents have loved reading about Bunyan's beloved tale of Christian and his adventure to follow the king's path to Celestial City. And now you can get all three books in one box set along with a map and it comes with a coloring book and the whole thing is just 60 bucks. You can use the code FAMILY10 to get 10% off your entire order at Lithos Kids right now. So what a great discipleship opportunity. To find all this, go to lithoskids.com, see all the items in their Easter promo, including their new release, The Parables of Jesus, and the Kingdom of God Bible Storybook. Guys, we love Lithos Kids. You're going to love them too. Go check it out today, lithoskids.com, and remember the promo, FAMILY10, to get 10% off your entire order. Hey listeners, we live in a world where anxiety, depression, and weariness seem to be the basic descriptors of our lives. For many of us, our calendars and our plates are overfull, yet our lives still lack joy. But it doesn't have to be this way. Jesus invites you to have true and abundant joy that's only found in Him. In John 15, Jesus reveals three very surprising pathways to finding this type of joy. You can discover these pathways in the new book, Overflowing Joy, by author and Bible teacher Tara Dew. This is available at LifeWay.com, and you can save 40% off with the code JOY40. Again, that's J-O-Y, the number four, the number zero, at LifeWay.com. The new book is Overflowing Joy by Tara Dew. Check it out. Yeah, camouflage to me is uh, one of the concepts in your book that I, I love because you do hear fight or flight mm-hmm. a lot, and you definitely see it in the culture as far yeah. as like cultural warrior or kind of like we've talked about it as missionary missionary or monk idea. Are we yes. in the culture right. um, yeah. and trying to change it, or are we are we just running from yeah. it? You know, uh, but the camouflage idea is very convicting. The idea that. Um, Hey, I can be Christian and be in this culture and just help my kid just blend yes. in or help our church just blend in or kind of adopt enough of the culture. It's very dangerous yeah. and maybe insidious, not intentional necessarily, 
but really common. Uh, one of the things you say in your chapter, the, the chapter is called A Little Yeast. You say that, um, this is a quote, discipling our kids in this cultural moment requires us to accept the reality that if we are successful, our kids will be misunderstood by the world around them. Yeah. This may be terrifying. The temptation to help them camouflage will be strong. And I'd love to hear from you. Why do you think that camouflage temptation is so strong for us as parents? And how do we get past that? Is that a lack of genuine faith in the parents? Is it just the cultural pressure? Is that strong? Have we not done a good job as churches helping them understand how countercultural we will be? Uh, What do you think? And then maybe what do you think we should be doing instead of camouflaging with the culture? What's the alternative? Yeah, well, I think um, for parents, I think there is an emotional component when we kind of see our kids we don't want our kids to suffer. I think that's sort of a, just a natural feeling that parents have. And so, yeah, we were, we don't want our kids to be bullied or teased for anything. And so, right. you know, I think adding uh, sort of to the list that they would be really unusual. Again, you know, I think as our kids get older in middle school and high school, if they're thinking um, critically about sexuality or they're thinking about um, even just um, rejecting cancel culture. I mean, come on, that's like, so they're going to be um, different. And I think as parents, it it hurts our hearts when our kids are (laughs) rejected or whatever. So I think there's that is just a reality that like, oh, that's really hard. We'd rather have our kids uh, blend in. in terms of on a broader scale, I think that, um, yeah, we, I mean, I do think churches haven't um, helped, you know, again, in the past, I think counting the cost of following Jesus looked a little different than maybe it yeah, does now. Right. And so I think, you know, many Christians have settled for kind of a comfortable faith. And so it's, we don't know what to do when it becomes uncomfortable to follow Jesus. Yeah, you're exactly right. Which, I mean, goes back to why a lot of kids would leave the church if they're not yeah. prepared for any discomfort. And right. what they're looking <laughs> for was comfort. If that was their God, right. then it, how easy would it be to abandon a God or a faith that causes discomfort, right? Yeah, this is something we talk pretty directly with our kids about. And um, so our 12-year-old, does not have a phone. Um, and, you know, I have no judgment on parents who make a different choice, but for us, no phone. Um, and, you know, he just talked about feeling left out and feeling different. And I am very direct about, um, I do not want to rescue you from that feeling of <laughs> being different yeah. and being left out because there will be so many other situations in your life where you are going to be different. And um, if I rescue you from that now, you're not going to exercise that muscle. And so you need to learn how to be yourself as someone Mm -hmm. who's a little different from your peers. So yeah. 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 That's awesome. Yeah. You talk about our churches and families forming a creative minority, similar to Daniel and his friends in Babylon. What do you think that would actually look like for our families? Yeah. So This idea of a creative minority is sort of the fourth way. So fight, flight, camouflage, or um, like Daniel and his friends, you know, in exile. So aware this is not our culture. um, And yet we are not going to 
fight against this culture. We're not going to be disruptive, um, but we're also not going to give in. So Daniel, you know, when there were restrictions on, you know, prayer, he continued to pray. Um, he wouldn't eat meat, sacrifice to idols. Um, so he continues to follow Jesus faithfully in the midst of a culture that doesn't. And um, the Lord uses him, you know, and puts him in in positions yeah. of great influence in that culture. But the the key thing there is it's um, living inside a different culture in in a, a way that is very distinct from yeah. the rest of the world. And so it's not just about what we believe and, you know, that I believe something different than you and I think I'm right and I think you're wrong. It's actually about how we live. And so it, it has to do with our habits. It has to do with... Um, yeah, how we operate in the world as people who follow Jesus. And that actually takes us in a very different path sometimes. Yeah, that's true. I I love going to those to the book of Daniel to talk about how this can be done and how it should look. Yeah. And I love the way that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even when everybody else is bowing right. down, they're saying, nope. no, we're not going to. Right. And when everybody else is eating the things that they're warned against, they say, no, we're, we're just not going to. Yeah. And But I love about those pictures too is we would be tempted to say like they're alone. And I love the way you describe it as a minority. While you may be less, the hope is that God also always gives you, if you're blessed enough to have it, a church of people or a group of That's people right. or a family of people that are going to be like you. That's right. That this is not about isolation. It may be though about being a minority, yeah. about saying, well, while your son doesn't get a phone, he's still part of your family. Right. He's still part of the Johnson family who goes, this family's gonna be different. And maybe the Johnson family or the Griffin family, we've got a church family that likewise is making similar choices that we can surround ourselves with, not so that we just feel good in the comfort of it, but that's so our faith is strengthened at the same time. So it's not just a hopeless, isolating, misunderstood, dystopian future <laughs> right. that we're looking towards, wow. <laughs> but just a ready to be different, yeah. right? And to be strengthened in the fact that we are, I love talking to, uh, we have three boys. And so talking about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, I will often, when we talk to our boys about it, talk about how I want the three of them to be that support That's for awesome. one another. I love that. that they get to be if facing down whatever challenges their faith, not feeling totally alone. But yeah, I, I love that word as a creative minority. Now you don't, in your book, you don't leave us hopeless either. You, you move past, it's not just about a uh, post-Christian culture and woe is us families, <laughs> you know, let's, let's be the minority and, and don't fight flight or camouflage, <laughs> but you talk about some of the practical wisdom on how to disciple our kids in the midst of all this. On our show, we talk a lot about leveraging what we call family discipleship moments. Yes. Similarly, you talk about capturing God moments. Yep. Can you talk a little bit about what that is? It's another it's another chart you use a lot in your book, <laughs> but I, what does capturing, capturing a God moment look like and how do you encourage parents to go about doing that? Yeah, so I talk about two different types of discipleship. One is what I call proactive, where we're planning and thinking about, you know, spiritual practices that we're being intentional about. But the God moment thing is about responding to discipleship moments we can't plan for. So you referenced right. it right at the beginning, you know, driving past this foxy lady, foxy lady. <laughs> strip club yeah. in our neighborhood. And the kids in the back are like, what's the foxy lady? Um, you have these moments that um, you can kind of use for discipleship that you can't plan for. Um, and so it could be something like a spiritual question. It could be um, an emotional response to something. 
It could be, um, yeah, a, a moment of discipline. You know, there's all kinds of moments where they become these opportunities to invite our children deeper into God's heart and story. And so, um, yeah, I think, you know, one of the key things that I talk about is that we want to be people who are helping our kids interact directly with God. A lot of times we would prefer to mediate that relationship and pray for the child, which is great. Keep praying for your kids, but um, to pray for them or to, you know, just explain God to the kid. And I think as soon and as early as you can to be um, encouraging our children to pray and to listen to God. And so part of capturing a God moment in the framework that I use is really facilitating an encounter between them and God whenever we can. That's awesome. That's good. And that section, you also talk about the temptation and you're battling this, the temptation for fear, control, and disbelief. Yeah. Like that the parents are tempted to, in a moment, maybe the foxy lady is a good example. <laughs> if your kid asks you a question that's kind of uncomfortable, right. you're afraid of like what your response and what your answer might breed in them. You want to control uh, how this is going to be understood right. or, or what's going to happen to your kid or who they're going to be. And in disbelief, maybe just doubt around what God could do with that that's moment. Right. How do, you, how do you want parents to address and face those temptations when they come? Because I imagine in this post-Christian culture that you paint for us, where we instinctively want to fight or run away or camouflage, these temptations might be an even bigger challenge to yeah. overcome. So how do you help parents address that temptation to fear, control, and disbelief? Yeah, well, I really think the more that we practice, um, you know, for example, this idea that God can speak directly to our children, even our little ones. I think the more that we practice um, inviting him to do that, the more it actually increases our faith that he will. So, you know, with our little, little ones, um, I think just the um, the temptation to be like, oh, they're too, they're too young to understand or they're too whatever, like to, to really train yourself not to, not to answer, um, for God, right? So God, the fact that God can interact with human beings at all is not anything that we have done to, you know, ascend to God. God has stooped to be able to to interact with us. And so that he can absolutely, you know, interact with our children. So I think the, the, how we combat that, you know, fear and control and disbelief as we just continue to open ourselves to the idea that God is here, God is present, um, God will speak to our kids when we ask him to, and um, just keep looking for his presence in our in our children. That's a good way to point families, point them right back towards God. That's good. Yeah, that's so encouraging. I like what you said about not answering for God. Um, <laughs> I think I do that because I think I it's always hard to like estimate our children's faith, um, right. you know, because our kids agree with us right now because the, we're the main influence. Right. And so I think sometimes, I, I don't know. I think what you said really registered with me. Cause I'm like, Oh, I think I do that. I think mm-hmm. I think to myself, well, you may not, you may not really know God, but I know him. So like, let me tell right. you what he thinks or right. what he says about right. you and kind of be right. try, trying to be that intermediator for my children. And especially at this point, my kids are definitely able to pray for themselves and um, right. to li- listen to God's word. Well, your book has a lot of questions for readers to answer as well as ideas to try out. Uh, would you share with our listeners some of your favorites that you've used at home? Yeah, so 
you know, um, on the proactive discipleship side, sort of the things that we can plan for and sort of take our own initiative, I really encourage parents, it's very Deuteronomy 6, you know, talk about these things as you walk along the road and as you lie down and get up. Really encourage parents to think about what are the routines in your day that you can repurpose for discipleship. And so, you know, for little, little kids, it's maybe bedtime establishes itself first. Maybe dinner time becomes a good space for us. Ages 12 and 8, dinner time is our best discipleship time. Um, but maybe it's car rides to soccer or walks to the bus or whatever. And so a couple of practices that um, I recommend uh, that can kind of span across ages. One is called a God hunt. So this is um, sort of a version of if you're familiar with um, the practice of the examen by uh, it's an Ignatian practice where you look back through your day and you ask yourself, you know, when did I sense God's presence and when did I miss God's presence? So that question's a little tough for little kids. Um, so I amended it to when our kids were, you know, two and three, um, as soon as they could answer these questions, when were you happy today? When were you sad today? And who was with you all day? And um, so this teaches kids that God isn't just there in the happy moments of our life, right? He's present in every, in our worst and in our best. And um, so, yeah, that's a practice that we started at bedtime. Um, as the kids get older, you can change those questions to be like, when, when did you notice God today? And help them to know what does God look like? God looks like uh, people who act in a Christ-like way. God looks like the fruit of the Spirit, um, God looks like this, like, when did you see God today? So God hunt. Um, and yeah, that, uh, has been so, you know, that simple little practice has been incredibly, um, formational for our kids to the point where, um, you know, when our 12 year old, when he was three, he was getting ready to go to the dentist, um, for the first time was really scared about it. And, you know, we like prepped him for, days about it's not going to hurt and you're going to be fine and I'll be sitting right next to you. And so he's, you know, again, worrying about this. And I'm getting a little bit like, come on, dude, like, <laughs> trust me, it's going to be fine. And I'm like, but, but Noah, like who will be with you in the dentist chair? And he just goes, oh, Jesus. <laughs> and he's like, so relieved. And I'm like, oh, you know, I'm tempted to feel like, oh, I didn't, my presence didn't comfort you, but thinking about Jesus being there. <laughs> but uh, the point being that that practice of daily saying, you know, when were you happy? When were you sad? And who was with you really um, yeah, changed how he felt about God's presence with him everywhere. That's great. Or Jesus is my dentist bumper sticker. Maybe <laughs> yeah, would be really helpful. Totally. <laughs> yeah. Um, so some other practices, um, I uh, think if you can practice a family Sabbath, that's a that's a high bar. Um, but I really do think taking a day where we are together, we are present to one another, we don't work, we do our best not to even do house projects if we can, but um, to just be together, to play, to rest, um, to yeah, to worship. So that that's one that I think will change a family culture pretty significantly. It, it takes a lot of work, takes a lot of preparation, but I think it's so worth it. 
That's good. Yeah. Um, thanks for listing those out. Our listeners are so eager for things that they can do in practical ways uh, just to disciple their kids. We're grateful for that. And we're so thankful for your time with us today. Before you go, Sarah, uh, would you mind sharing with us what are the prayers that you have for yourself right now? If our listeners want to be praying for you and your family, what could they ask God for on your behalf? Oh, that is a great question. (laughs) Um, I really appreciate that. Yeah, Yeah, I think... um, you could pray um, for protection for our family. I think when you put yourself out there and, you know, kind of the the vulnerability, yeah, in many ways, but including spiritually um, to write a book like this, uh, we've just been asking people to pray for our protection and um, that our, you know, the things that we, um, yeah, that the places that, you know, we've sort of put out there uh, don't become kind of targets. Um, so yeah, you could just pray for protection, um, and that our boys would, uh, continue to, you know, um, follow Jesus confidently in a world that doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. Those are great prayers. And we can definitely, our family can appreciate both of those things. Yeah, that you can. Honored to pray for you in that. (laughs) Yeah. Well, thanks for listening, friends. If you think it's as important as we do to disciple our families, please help us out by giving us a great review. Wherever you listen to podcasts, visit one of our sponsors and share this episode with one of your friends. If you want to keep up with us, you can join the conversation. You can follow the Family Discipleship Podcast on Instagram and Facebook. We really do love you, listeners. We're looking forward to all God has for us this fall, and we will see you next week.